Hi, this is David, back with Slugcast. Brought to you by the Division of Student Affairs and Success. Here with a brand new episode, taking us farther than any previous Slugcast. It was a clear, warm morning when I got a text that my ride was outside. I had triple-checked my luggage and quadruple-checked the audio equipment I had borrowed from the library. Batteries, SD cards, backup recorder, more batteries. Instead of cycling through another anxious luggage check, I hurried outside to a car where Carrie Naples, Senior Director of Development at the Humanities Division, and Laura Martin, Program Coordinator of the Deep Read event, were waiting. From the Santa Cruz Mountains, we were on our way to San Jose Airport, headed for San Diego for a special Deep Read Salon. Not an event where we could get our hair done, but a special alumni gathering at Stone Brewing Liberty Station. If you haven't heard, the Deep Read is an annual program led by the Humanities Institute at UCSC. Think of it as a really big book club. Each year, a book is selected, accompanied with a weekly newsletter, reviewing each chapter. There is also an undergrad course for the book, multiple events that focus community conversations around the topics, and finally, a finale of sorts where the author comes to visit UC Santa Cruz. This year's book by Elizabeth Colbert, titled Under a White Sky, The Nature of the Future, explores the role that human ingenuity has played in creating climate change and how it will likely affect our future. Just a few weeks ago, on May 21st, Colbert was interviewed by UCSC alum and New York Times podcaster Ezra Klein at the Quarry Amphitheater to a large audience of UCSC and local community members. But just a few weeks before the culmination of the deep read, I was on a plane to San Diego for an alumni salon. Walking out of the airport, Southern California greeted us with slightly cooler temperatures than Santa Cruz, but much higher humidity with a light gray sky. In just over an hour, we would take the short drive over to Liberty Station and begin setting up for the event. Being a current student and never attending an alumni event, I was not sure what to expect. Would people actually come having read the book? Were they just interested in free food and beer? Would there be a long, awkward silence during the discussion? Our private room in Liberty Station was cozy, with a fireplace and the same gothic aesthetic that many stone facilities adhere to. If you've never been, you can think of Liberty Station as a sort of Abbott Square on steroids. The location was a formal naval training base that spans 361 acres. Built in 1923, the architecture resembles the Presidio in San Francisco. Within its courtyards and many halls, it holds over 60 restaurants and retailers, 57 art studios, two hotels, and 16 health and fitness businesses. Stone Brewing is one of the largest restaurants and can seat about 700 people. For our event, we had about 40 people, all UCSC alum, and many who seemed to know each other. I was surprised at the tight-knit community constructed so far from Santa Cruz itself. Laura Martin gave a great overview of the book. So eight to 10 minutes, I'm gonna talk about the book, give some context for Colbert, and was only able to pose one question to the lively crowd. For about an hour, fellow slugs discussed the book and the many themes around unintended consequences when it comes to humanity attempting to better the environment. From personal experience to relevant knowledge, the conversation felt like it could have gone well into the night. 
What you'll hear next are sounds from the salon and the conversations that were had. I apologize for the sound quality. It was a lively group and I did my best to record what I could. David, can you stand up? David, do you want to say something about the Sledcast? Sure. Uh, my name is David. I work with Sledcast. It's the official UCSC podcast. And uh, we're recording the session now. And uh, hopefully when we're mingling, uh, I'd love to touch base and just get a little sound bite for the episode. The people have directly transformed more than half of the ice-free land on Earth, some 27 million square miles, and indirectly half of what remains. We have dammed or diverted most of the world's major rivers. Our fertilizer plants and legume crops fix more nitrogen than all the terrestrial ecosystems combined. And our planes, cars, and power stations emit about 100 times more carbon dioxide than volcanoes do. We now routinely cause earthquakes. In terms of sheer biomass, the numbers are stark staring. Today, people outweigh wild mammals by a ratio, a ratio of more than 8 to 1. Um, we go to the Chicago River workers who are electrifying the river to keep invasive carp out of Lake Michigan. We go to hydrologists who are trying to keep New Orleans dry and deal with coastal subsidence um, in the region. We go to marine scientists in Australia who are trying to breed hardier coral reefs that you know they hope will survive ocean acidification. She points to the possibility of both sort of Unknown unintended consequences. This book is all about unintended consequences that can happen with a lot of these interventions. So in contrast, of course, she's critiquing action, or she's critiquing the forms that our action takes, these forms that really reproduce the problem, which leaves me with a lot of questions about what we as readers um, are supposed to do with this book, um, or what we're supposed to take away from it. And I think it's hard to answer. <laughs> like I. I it's been hard for my students have answers they do. Um, they have lots of interesting things to say about it, but I'm curious what you all think. Uh, Hi everyone, my name is Blanca. This is something that I'm very passionate about and really wanted to read this book and I'm really interested into what uh, humanities department is doing. Hi, I'm Guillermo. I graduated in 92 environmental studies. Uh, but I think it's a redirect. I didn't, re I didn't do my homework, sorry. That you're not okay. in trouble. Extra, can I get extra money, Yeah, you can. This counts right now. Yes, oh. <laughs> um, but I think it's a redirect. I think it's just telling people there's no salvation in somebody else doing the work. You always look to science to save things, but science could ask the wrong questions and get the wrong answer. And so good intentions sometimes don't always have a positive outcome. That's Martine. Uh, oh, this is um, Psychology major here, so I'm putting on my mental health and psychology hat on. I think the... I, from what I haven't read it, I'm sorry, um, but the cognitive dissonance part of it, it's like, oh, oh we'll put it off till later. Oh, it's okay. I still, I still took an airplane here to San Diego, you know, or, or what have you. But um, I think that that whole self-awareness piece is. Hey everyone, um, I'm Jason. I graduated from Crown in 010 and a degree in marine biology. I just want to say that, like, when you're taking a lot of classes in, in environmental science or uh, oceanography, it can be pretty depressing. Uh, overall, just having graduated from a program where you, where you learn about that kind of stuff. Um, in some ways, I think that like the books that have a prescribed solution to climate problems are a bit convoluted because there really isn't a prescribed solution, so I kind of like that she left it open-ended. Um, you know, there's a lot of different things to think about when we think about the climate, not just from a scientific perspective, but as, as you had mentioned from like a uh, legislative perspective. 
we could have the best science in the world, but it's not going to matter if our legislators don't act on it. So like, I think the most important thing that we can do as community members is to encourage our legislators to take up good data-driven um, science in, in their policy writing. Hi everyone, I'm Sam, graduated in 2016 environmental studies. I'll just kind of add on what Jason said. I think there needs to be much stronger incentives and more importantly disincentives on individuals, really. I mean, as someone who, fairly recent graduate, like really working hard in the environmental field, it's really tough seeing my friends who work in tech and business and sales and stuff making 400 grand a year while I sort of feel <clears throat> in a way left behind it. I mean, I wouldn't say it's depressing, but it's, it's a- Not as depressing. Not as, not as, <laughs> it's not as exciting, you know? Uh, hi, my name's Daniel, uh, class of 09. Um, I think the book is kind of the story of unintended consequences. Yeah. Because it's all, well, I guess for the most part, very well-intentioned people who designed these things that they thought would help people. I'm Elise, uh, graduated in 1982, it seems like a really long time ago, psychology, and I'm actually a psychologist, so I made it work. <laughs> um, but I didn't read the book, but my comment is denial, that that's what we're in, and we're in denial for a good reason, this is some scary stuff. You know what, if we actually felt the impact of our species going to extinction, that would be, it would be very hard for us to, to live and go to work and do what we should. Hi everybody, my name is Gigi. I am from Rachel Carson, 2014, formerly known as College 8. Um, so to kind of go off of what uh, she had just said, where, um, you know, going from Santa Cruz to San Diego, um, for me it was a little bit difficult. There's definitely a cultural change. So when we talk about kind of like um, environment sustainability, just kind of what we're talking about right now, I feel like San Diego specifically was in such a huge delay. Um, I felt like there's been a lot of um, changes now within our own community here where I think the city is trying their very best to really put out more um, sustainable efforts, um, but they're also failing it at the same time. Hello, uh, my name is Matt Fern. I'm on the staff of uh, UC Santa Cruz, actually. I'm the regional director for Southern California, but I do have a daughter at Santa Cruz right now. Psychology. Uh, and uh, my question is more just about the, uh, the choice that the author made to, uh, in a way, overwhelm us, I guess. Yeah, I'll just build off of that, in that, um, thinking about the storytelling that Colbert did, I, I really loved how she depicted, depicted these very complicated issues and, and experiments and processes, um, and she brought a lot of artistry to it. To your question, I feel like I'm always trying to navigate that balance between, and this is why we need intersectional analysis, and this is why we need intersectional analysis. And here's how we can look at that from a like feminist psychoanalytic point of view about you know legacies of racism. I like events like this because often it feels like we're in a silo, right? And you know, how many opportunities did we get to express in different kinds of ways? I, I agree, art. The narrative is a safe way to bring people together to have these conversations. And a lot of people don't, and we live in the silo. And when I talk to my students, it's like, where are these other people who are just like me? Or whatever it is, right? Because there's really not these opportunities. You know, I try not to be a cynical person.
Our evening concluded with delicious food and great stone beer before we all went our separate ways. The Deep Reed Salon at Stone's Liberty Station was not simply an alumni event. It was a continuation of the studies and conversations that I felt many had missed from their time at UC Santa Cruz. I want to leave us with a special thank you to Laura Martin and Carrie Naples for letting me join them on this journey down to San Diego, as well as Steve Wagner for hosting this event at Stone Liberty Station. This has been David with Slugcast. Take care. Thank you.